Luke 8. And when a very great multitude was gathered together and hastened out of the cities unto Jesus, he spoke by a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And other some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Other some fell among thorns, and the thorns growing up with it choked it. And some other fell on good ground, and being sprung up, it yielded a fruit a hundredfold. Saying these things, Jesus cried out, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him what this parable might be. To whom he said, To you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to the rest in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And they by the wayside are they that hear. Then the devil cometh, and taketh the word out of their heart, lest believing they should be saved. It's a good idea to do some spiritual warfare before you pick up the word and delve into it, because the devil's going to work hard to keep it away from you. You could accomplish this by uh, sprinkling some holy water before you partake of the word. Making sure you got your scapular on. Having your Bible blessed. Blessed Bible. Boy, that chases the devil away. Pray to the Holy Spirit before you partake of the word. That'll chase him away. Most importantly, be in the state of sanctifying grace. Now those upon the rock are they, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. These have no roots, for they believe for a while, and in time of temptation they fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they who heard, and going their way, are choked with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and yield no fruit. Wow. Scriptures are speaking of us, isn't it? you got to keep the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life on the back burner. Keep God on the front burner. Or the word is not going to yield any fruit in you. But they on the good ground are they who, in a good and perfect heart, hearing the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit in patience. What's that patience thing? Got to be patient with the word. You have to patiently consume it every day, day in, day out. Scripture and tradition, every day. Patiently, perseveringly. Baltimore Catechism number two is going to give us two questions today. What are the corporal works of mercy? What are the spiritual works of mercy? Corporal works of mercy are give food to the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, bury the dead. And the spiritual works of mercy admonish the sinner, instruct the ignorant, counsel the doubtful, Comfort the sorrowing, bear wrongs patiently, forgive injuries, and pray for the living and the dead. Now for a breakdown of these, we're going to go to Baltimore Catechism number 3, starting at question 812. How can we know spiritual from corporal works of mercy? 
It says that the, the uh, spiritual works of mercy are things that we do for the good of the soul. And the corporal works of mercy are things we do for the good of the body. I was going to start with the spiritual works of mercy because those are the most important. Because the soul's got to be saved. Admonish the sinner. It says, when are we bound to admonish sinners? That means correct sinners. It says, we're bound to admonish people when these following, when these three conditions, when these three conditions are fulfilled. One, when the fault is mortal. Two, when we have authority or influence over him. Three, when there is reason to believe that our warning will not make him worse instead of better. Instruct the ignorant. Comfort the doubtful. It's going to take these two now. By ignorant is meant those that are ignorant of the truths of religion. It's not teaching somebody how to change a tire. It's teaching somebody the faith. The commandments. The deposit of faith. And counseling the doubtful. Those, are, those doubts are people that have doubts in matters of faith or morals. To counsel them. Okay, not counseling them in, in what brand of ketchup is the best for them to buy. These are spiritual works of mercy for the soul, not the body. Then it goes on to uh, bearing wrongs patiently, forgiving injuries. It says, why are we advised to bear wrongs patiently and forgive all injuries? Because, being Christians, we should imitate the example of Jesus, who endured wrongs patiently, and who not only pardoned, but prayed for those who injured him. And it says, if then, if it, if it be a Christian virtue to forgive all injuries, why do Christians establish courts and prisons and punish wrongdoers? It says, Christians establish courts, prisons, to punish wrongdoers because of the need of the preservation of lawful authority, good order in society, and the protection of others. Sometimes, even for the good of the guilty one himself, it requires that crimes be justly punished. As God himself punishes crime, and as lawful authority comes from him, such authority has the right to punish. Though individuals should forgive the injuries done to them personally. So, for example, if somebody steals your car out of your driveway, takes it out and wrecks it, you're minus a car now. Well, you need to forgive the person that stole your car, but you still got to press charges and, and call the police for the protection of society. Because if you don't, next week he's going to do it the same thing to somebody else. This guy's got to be brought under control. But personally, you do forgive him. And the next two, pray for the living and the dead. We pray for the living because the living are constantly exposed to temptations. And especially living people living in mortal sin. They're deprived of all merit. They need our prayers for their conversions. And the dead, we're assisting the souls in purgatory. So you're praying for the conversion of sinners and for the souls of purgatory, basically. Now that one. Then we move on to the corporal works of mercy. It says, we may briefly state the corporal works of mercy by saying, we are obliged to help the poor in all their forms of want. Says, how are Christians aided in the performance of works of mercy? They're aided through establishments 
of charitable institutions, where religious communities of holy men and women perform these duties for us, providing we supply the necessary means by our almsgiving and good works. This is an old model that used to work really well. doesn't work so well in modern times because the religious orders are so corrupt. I mean, wow, look at some of these institutions like Catholic uh, Charities. Wow, that's a criminal institution there. Heck, they'll supply you with birth control. They harbor uh, illegal, illegal immigrants. There's some nasty folks there doing some nasty stuff. It's Catholic Charities. Used to be these organizations would do, actually do good, but a lot of them don't do good anymore. you got to watch. Who are religious? Religious are self-sacrificing men and women who, wishing to follow more closely the teachings of our Lord, dedicate their lives to the service of God and religion. A lot of the saints were religious. You read about them. They live together in societies approved by the church under a rule and guidance of a superior. They keep the vows of chastity, poverty, obedience, and divide their time between prayer and good works. Again, this is the old model. Today, not so much. But there are some, some authentic ones, few and far between. The houses in which they dwell are called convents or monasteries, and the societies in which they live are called religious orders, communities, or congregations. A good, holy way of life, sanctifying way of life. Of life. But you must watch, because many of them are corrupt. A couple more. Are there any religious communities of priests? Yes, there's many, who besides living according to the general laws of the church, as all priests do, they follow certain rules laid down for their community. Such priests are called regular clergy, because living by rules to distinguish them from the secular clergy who live in their parishes under no special rule. The chief work of the regular clergy is to teach in colleges and give missions and retreats. Why are there so many different religious communities? Gives two answers. One, because all religious are not fitted for the same work. And two, because they desire to imitate our Lord's life on earth as perfectly as possible. And when each community takes one of Christ's works and seeks to become perfect in it, the union of all their works continues as perfectly as we can the works he began upon earth. Okay, and some Latin for the day to finish it up. Et nenos inducas in tentationum. Tentationum, temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Asking God for the grace to escape temptation when it comes. Et nenos inducas in tentationum. Lead us not into temptation. Today's Saturday, Our Lady's Day. Seven sorrows tonight.